0: This is MJ. I'm an author, I'm an artist, I'm an analyzer. You can find all my work at MJMunoz.com. Welcome to Story Over Everything. This is a Skimming Leaves episode where I will be talking about none other than Mr. HP. That is J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter in Book 5, Order of the Phoenix. So, this, uh, I guess, intro portion is being recorded perhaps months after I finished listening to the book. And I, you know, but do not fear... The recording happened shortly after I finished the book, so it's not uh, it's going to be awful and crazy. Uh, I do have some fun facts that I want to share about Order of the Phoenix with you, and I'm going to go ahead and do that very shortly. So listen up to this as I get you ready to jump into the episodes, so you hear my raw thoughts and reactions on the book, on the story, on everything going on. Uh, there's definitely some negativity, but overall... I still do like these books in the series, and uh, I don't have any issues with J.K. Rowling as an author. Um, yes, yes. I even read the uh, Tales of Beedle Beetle the Bard, which were uh, a lot of fun. So anyway, here we go. I'm going to start jumping into the fun facts here for Harry Potter book six, The Order of the Phoenix. Okay, so uh, according to my research... <laughs> Uh, the book was published on June 21st, 2003, by Scholastic in the U.S. and Bloomsbury in the U.K. It was the first uh, Harry Potter book to have a global release date. Okay, so last time, book uh, four, Goblin of Fire... Is it? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Book four, Goblin of Fire, had a U.S.-U.K. simultaneous release. And now this one supposedly has a worldwide release, which I would assume that means more than just the U.S. and the U.K., because it's got the global release. Uh, The book has 766 pages in the U.K. edition and 870 pages in the U.S. edition. It is the longest book in the series, with a word count of approximately 257,045 words. Now, let me see. I want to write 60,000-word pulp novels. How many times does 60,000... Go into 257,000. Uh, it's a lot. Is that 40? <laughs> it's like 40 of my pulp novels for this one book. <laughs> I think that's right, but I, I could very well be wrong. That's crazy. Anyway, apparently the book won the Bram Stoker Award for Best Work for Young Readers in 2003, uh, and it was the only Harry Potter book to do so. Maybe it was because of all the inappropriate stuff I didn't like <laughs> in the book. Uh, and I, I don't care about the characters it introduces. Um. Oh, yeah. So it advances stuff in the kids. Uh, you know they're later in school, and it shows kind of like entrance exams, finals, you know, preparation for moving on to uh, learning more new interesting stuff for their careers and their futures in the wizarding world. But I won't go on and read those fun facts. I will. Uh, I will stop there and let you listen to my reaction and thoughts uh, to this book from a while ago. I had two interesting ha- things happen to me along the way of listening to these. Bo- there's a third, but I won't mention it because uh, it doesn't matter. So, uh, the two interesting things that happened to me on the way of listening to this book is that, one, I ran out of my... I had to return the book to the library, the, the e- or digital library that I'm using. And I had to take like a two-week break from listening because of... Some training that I'm doing with somebody that uh, impacted my ability to listen. And when I finally got back to the book, I found that it was time for it to go back. And then I desperately cast it around for another way to find it. Uh, I finally did find a fan version of a uh, a reading of the book, and I went ahead and listened to that. Um, But that's piracy, you might argue. And I would say, uh, yes, technically that is 100% true. However, I had the book for the entire period of time in which I could have listened to it, and I didn't because of circumstances. And to cover myself, I'll probably just check it out again as soon as it becomes available, because I have it on hold again to do that very thing. Um, so, anyway, I don't know. It's kind of like, uh, does it really matter? But, you know, I don't know. I feel weird about it. But, anyway, um... So I did that. And I've also been been considering just outright buying the books because uh, I imagine there's something that might be reread in the family from time to time. So we'll see. We'll see. And uh, so getting back to the actual book, uh, I really liked it when I think about it. This was a book of transition. It was a book of basically the world of Harry Potter opening up. Harry learns a lot more about the wider wizarding world. Um, in the end game of the book he leaves Hogwarts he entirely goes off of campus to deal with things uh, which is interesting to point out because at the end of uh, book 4 Goblet of Fire he also went off of campus to deal with things whereas Prisoner of Azkaban had them definitely staying on campus as did uh, Chamber of Secrets and uh, Philosopher's Stone so it's interesting those first three books enabled Harry to deal with Voldemort in some way, essentially, uh, that had him staying on campus and doing everything at Hogwarts, which is supposed to be a very safe place because of all the counter-charms and protection spells and whatever that are there, Uh, but we can see that dangers can still creep in. Uh, But then, you know, Book 4 pulls him out of Hogwarts into danger against his will, and then in Book 5 he goes out of Hogwarts uh, into danger uh, because it's his will, and I kind of imagine that that'll happen again in this, uh, in the sixth book, but I don't want to talk about that right now, I'm just talking about the fifth book. And I don't know, it's just really interesting how it really opens things up. You get to see more into the Weasley's family life, you get to visit with Harry's godfather at his family home, which is very interesting and, like, is utilized for a plot point. Like, it's, it's interesting the fact that that place is chosen as the base for the Order of the Phoenix, and then there's a certain measure of betrayal that happens because they're at that home, and one of the servants in that home, and, uh, it basically serves to pull Harry against, see, he leaves, uh, according to his own will, but he's basically trapped into it, or fooled into it, and it's really interesting that that happens, because, um, you get to see him making moves on his own, and doing things because he wants to do them, not because he has to to survive, but because he wants to because he thinks it's the right thing for him to do, even if it puts him in danger. And that's interesting because he's going from like a passive protagonist who's just kind of going through these things and luckily surviving to a more active protagonist who's choosing to face things. And that's really interesting. So I like the steady growth that we're seeing and the steady development that we're seeing in his character and yeah without getting so I wonder if it's not a good idea to keep doing these without spoilers I'll finish off Harry Potter with not having spoilers in the book I'm talking about I'll refer back to things from the last book because um, they're so interconnected you'll, you'll hear those things um but I'll at least give you a chance so it's difficult and I, I think in the casual book chats I want to go ahead and do like a couple minutes worth of talking about it without my uh you know without spoilers and then I'll just go ahead and relax and and say everything I want to say. So <clears throat> again I'm reaching back in my mind to Order of the Phoenix. Yeah, it's all very fascinating. It's all very interesting how it works out that Dumbledore basically has this uh private army, you could say, that he's setting up to oppose Voldemort and then you get this dynamic of conflict coming not from Voldemort but from the Ministry of Magic itself and it's partly because they want to pretend Voldemort isn't back so that they don't have to deal with the consequences of him being back and they don't have to look bad saying that he's back because they have been making assurances to people that Voldemort is well and truly gone that Dumbledore is some sort of crackpot who thinks Voldemort is back Uh, perhaps he's a conspiracy theorist and that Harry is an attention-seeking like no good kid and it's very interesting how the Ministry of Magic which is, you know, ostensibly a government organization is using a newspaper as a weapon against Harry and it's happening in a much more, if it was happening in Goblet of Fire, it was not happening in Goblet of Fire um, There was other stuff going on with the fire that mentioned the media, and I brought up, I'm curious to see if Rowling, like, not doubles down, but includes the media as a force to be dealt with in the books further, and, you know, will that happen in book five? It sure happened in book five. The media was absolutely weaponized by the Ministry of Magic, and I find that to be a really fascinating thing, because it's definitely something that happens in the real world and the non-wizarding world and it's interesting to see it happening in the wizarding world as well and I don't know it was just really interesting that I don't know if it's because we live in a, a more modern era or what like obviously that didn't happen in uh, you know Lord of the Rings we didn't get to hear you know fake news coming from uh, Aragorn that, about him trying to stop um, stop uh, what's his name uh, the Dark Lord Sauron um, and we didn't have uh, you know Sauron talking about how there's my truth and then the truth or however that went. I can't remember. Like, there's facts and there's truth? Something like that? Anyway, we didn't get to hear any of that, like, political double speech in that because the media just wasn't a factor in, you know, Tolkien's epic fantasy. But in uh, Rowling's, like, you know, arguably urban fantasy series of Harry Potter, we do get that. And I find that pretty interesting. And I don't quite know... Again, I don't quite know why she did that. Um, And I don't remember how far back urban fantasy goes and uh, if she's just like playing on a part of it or if she's just doing her own thing and just you know it's interesting because she's trying to say well what if wizards were really real and what if they did actually interact with the non wizarding world and what if the wizarding world was like this you know secret you know elite sort of um, you know sub population that uh, you know kind of did things in their own interesting way Um, and it had you know effects on the rest of the non-wizarding world and, you know, what would happen in that situation. Which is interesting, but I don't necessarily like it. Like in Narnia, uh, if in the Chronicles of Narnia at some point, well, I mean, they did interact. (laughs) Jadis interacted with the police and stuff. (laughs) Oh, man, that was funny. And she interacted with the public as well. Um, Oh, man. Magician's Nephew is a great book, by the way. If If you haven't read that, it's time. Just, you know, stop what you're doing. And go listen to that, or go listen to that, go read that, it's a very good book. Anyway, um, but, like, yeah, he had, uh, Lewis, that is, in, uh, The Magician's Nephew, he had the fantastical meeting and interacting with the mundane, and it was interesting, but there wasn't any, like, social commentary type thing going on, it was, like, a cop dealing with people who he thought were drunk or crazy uh, not realizing that they were actually magical and actually like really powerful beings, or at least one that could you know seriously do him harm, and there was a comedy to that because you're you're seeing the absurdity of the magic interacting with the mundane in a way where the mundane doesn't grasp it, and it just it made for a funny situation. So, um, and there's other stuff as you go further into the magician's nephew where there's comedy by the contrast of the real wor- world versus you know Narnia that world and, uh, that's pretty interesting, and, uh, yeah, but it's, the way it's done, the way it's handled, there's no, I don't know, it was handled in, like, a very sincere and earnest way, versus I kind of feel like there's something being said by Rowling here in these books about the media, and, uh, definitely there's, like, themes of authoritarianism and anti-authoritarianism and, like, letting people in charge i'll say like that letting the people in charge use fear and a crisis as an opportunity to oppress people to uh make scapegoats out of any individual they want and i find that really interesting and really powerful and really i don't know strange um there's a, a new character a new defense against the dark arts instructor who does more than just that but she ultimately lives by the end of the book so she's not a pawn of Voldemort which you might uh, imagine or at least she's not revealed to be one in this book uh, her name is Dolores Umbridge and she becomes the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher and she basically has the students not learning how to do Defense Against the Dark Arts in any practical way they do a lot of reading they do it's a quiet class where nobody talks because everybody's reading just the teacher tells you what section to read in the book and that's about it It's all supposed to be theory, and she's supposedly doing it out of the interest of the safety of the children, her students, and also almost like out of a sense of propriety of, oh, it wouldn't be proper to show you these certain things, and I've heard that last year you had teachers do this, this, and this, and this, and it was approved by the faculty here, which that's arguable if during that year, if during year four, The things that were being done were 100% stamped on or uh, approved by Dumbledore or not because of who the teacher was and how uh, (coughs) unorthodox he proved to be. But anyway, that's that's for another time to talk about. So it's interesting that what happens is the kids end up figuring that, you know, if we're going to be left without an actual Defense Against the Dark Arts uh, education, if something happens to us and we need to use our wands to do spells to defend ourselves anti-jinx anti-charms uh, that kind of thing we're going to be in big trouble and we will become injured and hurt and killed possibly by Voldemort and his forces if they are in fact back which there's a whole kind of controversy throughout the entire year of uh, of this of the book that is Voldemort really back and uh, it's just again it's interesting it's interesting that it's this controversy and it's this kind of uh, this political hot potato that's being dealt with. And, like, I don't know. Like, they're trying to get Dumbledore fired and kicked out and there's all this staff stuff going on with the school and, like, the Ministry of Magic basically puts Umbridge in uh, as a teacher to do their will at Hogwarts and make sure it conforms to what they are saying because, like, they hold a certain position and not only do they oppose or are they upset with anybody who denies that position, but they, like, basically want to use every force they can legal and it turns out non-legal as well to stop them from saying things that they don't like so uh it's interesting because it, it almost touches on an a way like a cancel culture type thing but it's more about like smearing of individuals um who are doing things that the people who are in charge don't like because they find it disruptive or whatever um, but it turns out that sometimes when people are in charge and they don't want people to do things who are under them Uh, because they find them to be disruptive to the peace that uh, those people in charge will go ahead and do things that are illegal in order to get the people who they want to stop uh, from doing certain things to stop from doing them. Uh, A favorite example of mine because of how horrible it is and how plainly horrible it is is that uh, my American FBI Federal Bureau of Investigation was weaponized against one Martin Luther King Jr. who we now lionize and have a holiday for and they did a bunch of illegal spying on him and had a bunch of illegal information on him and uh they wrote him letters sending him documentation of basically blackmail telling him that he should kill himself and uh that wasn't after his victory uh in the civil rights movement that was during his victory or during his work in the civil rights movement because my government wanted to assuage him and stop him from doing what he was doing you know non-peaceful, I mean, peaceful, literally peaceful, non-violent uh, protests that were fighting for good people of good character who were sincerely trying to make a good life for themselves to be able to have the same freedoms and rights as others, uh, you know, who had a different color of skin. Um, so it's really interesting how uh, people in power, in order to protect their power, they will do immoral things, they will do illegal things, and they will hurt whoever they have to, to maintain their sense of control. And it's fascinating that that's uh, going on, like, that's the subtext of the book. The text is that Voldemort's trying to come back and you don't know what his scheme is, but it's something bad, and Harry and his friends can stop it if, you know, if they do everything right. Um, and, I don't it's just, like it's a very interesting thing, because like, Voldemort isn't at Hogwarts. He doesn't want to be at Hogwarts. He's not trying to be at Hogwarts. He's trying to lure Harry out, basically, uh, in order to do a thing, which I won't go into. Um, and I that's light spoilers, but it's, well, it's very light. You know he's going to try to kill him again. Um, and, uh, gosh, I don't know. It's just really interesting. Um, besides all that, uh, like political commentary that's going on in the book, uh, which I would say, you know, it's not speaking against the U.S. government directly. In fact, I at one point thought, What is Rowling talking, what was going on in the UK during the uh, early 2000s or or late 90s when she was writing this stuff? I guess maybe it was, these books were kind of written against the backdrop of the War on Terror. So that's kind of interesting. I don't know what her, I don't know or really care to know Rowling's full political standing um, to know exactly what she was talking about. Because the point carries, the point matters, or the point gets across that, yeah, if people want to be authoritarian like this and pretend that they're moral and that they're good and they're just doing this for the good of the people... You don't have to trust them. You can question them. You can defy them. You can go against them. It may hurt. You may suffer the consequences. But that's something you're allowed to do. And maybe you should consider... And you should consider doing. Because uh, it might just be the right thing to do. And it might help people. And it might turn out these people are even more evil than you understood them to be. Once you've seen them violating certain uh, moral things and then certain laws... It's clear. Well, I guess I would put morals above laws. Once they're violating certain laws and certain morals, uh, you know that they're not to be trusted, and that they only care about power and them wielding it against others. So, basically, that kind of gives you permission to say, "Yeah, I will take everything on a case-by-case basis and defy whom I choose to defy, and uh, and comply with what I choose to comply." And I think that's a very interesting. Very interesting message for a children's book, especially because it shows that it isn't always people who are in power um, who are right. And we have many instances of children, young children and older kids being harmed by people who are in power because they blindly trust the fact that they're a person in authority, therefore they uh, should be listened to or complied with, which uh, is not always true. So, very interesting. I mean, entertaining book, but then it's got this interesting messaging going on and this interesting... (sighs) like, life application, um, to be gleaned from the story. And I like that. Anyway, besides that, besides the world of Harry Potter getting bigger and showing more of the Wizarding World and whatnot, we also got a very interesting, uh, like, personal growth in the world of Harry Potter. Like, Harry gets more of a family. He gets more of a normal family not upbringing to be in, but more of a family atmosphere to be in. He spends more time with the Weasleys and this other extended family that all happens and they're all part of the Order of the Phoenix, which is a you know central thing in the book. And uh, it's really interesting to see and it's really lovely. And it um, it also works because like the character interactions are entertaining, but they're also interesting and they cause you to ask questions about The world and the character and the history of all the characters and like I don't know like how they got to be where they are and how their relationships got to be at the state that they're at and I think it's just really fascinating to see how all that played out and it's interesting because Rowling just keeps adding stuff to the books and like texturing them and layering them with things that make it more enjoyable to read and and there are these little hooks that kind of get in your head. That's like, oh, well, if this is the case, then what about that? It's like, it just sparks questions and kind of sparks the imagination. And I think she does a really good job of, and I I think I can see why so many people are such crazy Harry Potter fans, because there's a depth to the story and a depth to the the technique of the storytelling that really draws you in and makes you feel, I mean, yeah, like part of the world or like you can relate to the world. Like, I'm sure we all have a Snape, we all have a... uh, know, <laughs> Uncle Sirius, or, uh, you know, whatever, like, there's all that kind of, uh, those, those family dynamics, the way they're uh, played with, um, it feels very reminiscent of, you know, your own family, my own family, and you can kind of see little things there, which is a lot of fun, so it's like a very relatable, you know, story, very relatable, uh, you know, set of books and set of characters that we're getting introduced to, uh, and it just keeps growing, and it, it's kind of that way with life, too, the older you get, the more you get exposed to, the more you learn uh, how little you know and uh, the more you learn how much of the world you don't really know about or never really had to think about or, or had always taken for granted and there's things in the book that you know kind of cause Harry to question uh, certain parts of his past that he had seen in a certain light and now he sees them in a different light and that's just really interesting and compelling stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I think the... Well... That's what I think about the book. Those are my casual thoughts. I'm going to let you go, let myself go, because uh, I am running out of things to say, and I don't want to start rambling. So uh, until next time, folks, take care. Thank you for your time and attention. Thank you for listening. Come back for more. Uh, Be well. And uh, this is MJ signing out. I hope you enjoyed that. Go to MJMunoz.com to leave any questions, comments, or other feedback you might have. There you can find all of my analysis, art, and fiction. I cover books, tokusatsu, comic books, anime, and more. Look around. You're sure to find something else that you'll enjoy as well. This has been a Story Over Everything production.